Hello, I'm James Stewart, and this is RyeCast, the podcast that's all about Rye. And this week, it's about the challenges faced by one of the town's top tourist attractions. I'm at the Rye Heritage Centre. This is where you'll find the town model, which is right in front of me. It's a huge recreation of the town, with its own fascinating history. And along with the model, there's the sound and light show that takes you through 750 years of Rye history in around 20 minutes. I'm here to find out more about the town model, meet the people who run the centre, and to hear how you can get involved too. Plus, I'll be meeting some of the visitors who enjoy coming to the Heritage Centre here on Strand Quay. But the lights have just gone down, and the show, I think, is about to begin. Welcome to Rye, one of the most unusual and distinctive small towns in Britain. What makes it so unique? I've left the model and come upstairs at the Rye Heritage Centre. This is the bit the visitors don't see. There's an office at one end, but round here, not much else. That's about to change, as we'll hear in a moment or two. I'm with Chris Hoggart, who's the chairman of the Heritage Centre Trustees, and Simon Parsons, who's the manager. Simon, going back to the model, it depicts Rye as it would have been 150 years ago? Yes, it is. It's based loosely on around 1870 bit of poetic license around it some of it shouldn't be there and some of it should be there and isn't but generally speaking the middle of the 19th century yeah. for those who haven't seen it do you want to describe it for us it's a large scale it's one to 100 scale model of the town it's very very accurate and incredibly finely detailed particularly when you take into account that it was built by two amateurs coming up to being 50 years old next year we think that it is probably unique certainly in this country terms of its overall size. I mean, it fills a whole room. It's not a tabletop model. It was built by a couple called Joy and Ted Harland. They started work on it in 1973, having been to look at something similar in Ghent in Belgium. And they liked it so much, they thought they'd come back home and build one themselves. And they spent the next three and a half, four years on their living room floor making the model and putting in the electronics that run the lights and then once they'd finished it they started exhibiting it themselves. The interesting thing is that they were not model makers. Joy was an ex-teacher, history teacher I believe, who had a, a degree in politics and economics and her husband, I'm not sure what he did, but he just sort of took a keen interest in the new hobby of amateur electronics at the time. What strikes me is when you look at it, it's not just the, the buildings you see. You see all the, the green bits that you can't see from the street and also things from the tower. So they must have had a really intimate knowledge of the town. Yes, I think they probably got access to several points. And, of course, um, one of the best advantage points in the town is from the church tower. But they also used ordnance survey maps from the period and they used some contemporary photographs of the time they were building it and made comparisons but they actually walked around the town with a tape measure and a notebook and measured up most of the buildings that the significant buildings to get this scale and detail right and it's now got pictures as well as the sound and the light show yes just recently uh, since we took over as a charity we've tried to sort of bring it a little bit more up to date and introduce some extra imagery for people to uh, look at while they're listening to the narration of the show and a little bit more interest and perhaps some humour to it. What are the challenges that you face day to day? The biggest challenge at the moment really is a sense of unpredictability. We never know from day to day whether we're going to get a steady flow of visitors or whether it's going to be erratic like today. We had an extremely quiet morning 
This afternoon has been much, much busier, but tomorrow could be very, very different. I have no idea. And that's a lot, I think, to do with changes in people's behaviour in terms of what they're prepared to spend, what they've got to spend. There's a tangible fear of not necessarily not having enough money right now, but that next week you, they might not have enough money because they don't know how much their energy bill is going to be. We're seeing evidence of a lot more conscious budgeting for people, which is sort of coming across in an increase in cash spending, where you can see people are taking out perhaps £100 for their day out with their family, and when it's gone, it's gone. Whereas, you know, perhaps pre-2019, they would have got the plastic out and tapped the machine, not knowing how much they'd spent until their statement came in at the end of the month. Too late by then, and oh, well, we'll get over it. That seems to have gone now. And, you know, things are much more on the hoof. Uh, we have to be prepared for unplanned visitors. We're beginning to see the odd group booking coming back in, but some of those are now ringing up in the morning and saying, can I bring 60 people this afternoon? And you say yes, and then half past three comes along and they ring up and say, oh, actually, we changed their mind. So you can't even predict on a daily basis what your income is going to be or what your visitor numbers are going to be. So planning for staffing with volunteers is difficult. Not knowing whether I've got to go to the bank today or not and bank the cash is difficult. It's very much, you know, what's going to happen today and deal with it when it happens. What I often refer to as crisis management and firefighting rather than planned management, which makes life difficult. You've been manager for a year. How come you ended up here? I was instrumental, I suppose, in starting the campaign to keep the Heritage Centre open when the council first announced that they were going to close at the end of 2019. I was very fortunate at that point to have several significant and knowledgeable people come on board as trustees in order for us to form a charity. So for the first year, I was actually the chairman of the trustees and we'd had appointed a manager. He decided to move on. So that coincided with a point in my life where my career was becoming a little bit... Uh, challenging for me shall we say um, now that I'm 64 so I sort of looked at the opportunity that was presented to me and thought well perhaps I could do this job obviously because we're a charity the proper processes were followed through the job was advertised and I applied uh, and I'm pleased to say that uh, I managed to get through the interview successfully and was appointed. And you've lived in Rye for decades? I have lived in Rye since the early 1980s, but I was born and bred in a little village just three miles outside the town. So Rye is my home. It's where I belong. It's the place where I love. It's the place that frustrates the hell out of me. But it's a place, uh, and I think a lot of people would say the same, it's a place where however much it frustrates you, you can't leave it behind. And with the Heritage Centre, you need volunteers. Yes, we do. We've got a fantastic team of volunteers, but we always need more. And as we begin to expand the offering here and redevelop the place, we're going to need even more volunteers. So yes, there's always room for more volunteers. And tell me about the plans for the future. What's next? Next on the agenda is to redevelop the upper floor, which um, at the moment is empty. And that's the area where we want to turn ourselves back into a heritage centre by definition rather than just by name. So we're going to put some proper heritage displays up there and we're also going to have up there an interactive walkthrough experience to tell you the story of smuggling in the local area. So we're quite excited about all of that, but it all takes time and, of course, money, which is in short supply. When do you hope to get that up and running? 
last July. <laughs> but no, in reality, these things take a lot longer than you, you hope they will. But we hope to get some significant progress during this season. But probably we're looking at next spring before everything is in place and we can really say that you know we've done a lot, a lot of developmental work and there's more to see. Thanks, Simon. As I mentioned, Chris Hoggart is also here. You're the chairman of the trustees of this centre. This used to be the Tourist Information Centre too, didn't it? When we took it over as a charity, we had negotiations with the council, obviously, and the council wanted to keep the Tourist Information Centre, which is now based in the town hall, and we kept the heritage part of the thing and obviously managed to save the town model from being put in an attic somewhere. But, you know, people do come in to ask us about tourist information and sometimes we can answer the question or we direct them to the town hall. So So there was a danger of the model getting mothballed? There was a a definite danger of the model being mothballed. There were a number of options that the council thought of for this building, but all of them meant that the model would either be moved somewhere else and really there wasn't anywhere else in town where it could go. So the only other option would be for it to be dismantled, which it can be, although it looks impossible when you look at it, dismantled and probably placed in an attic and you know may never have seen the light of day again which would have been a tragedy i mean everybody who sees this model just comes out with their mind blown by it and it is a fantastic thing and and none of us who got together to to form the charity could stand it actually that's really why that happened difficult times finances horrific going to get a lot worse it's tough isn't it it is extremely tough and we are i would say just getting by currently We took over as a charity in April 2020, which wasn't the best time by any means to take over because we didn't open then until July 2021. So now we've been open about a year and we're just about breaking even. And I think that's quite good for a first year of operation. But really, you know, we need to develop the top floor more and we need to generate more income. I mean, one of the problems is we've lost a lot of potential customers for the model. We used to get a lot from cruises from Dover. People used to come by coach. That brought a party of people in. And we used to get a lot of overseas students. And unfortunately, since Brexit, it's not the case anymore, really. Has anyone replaced them? Not to the same degree, no. I mean, we still do get parties of students from abroad. And we still get parties of students, local schools come in and so on. But there were a huge number, actually. I think one year in the 90s, 25,000 people saw that model. That would suit us, actually. (laughs) That would be very good for our finances. I think I've got two big worries about the centre at the moment, apart from the volunteers that Simon spoke about. My first worry is that Simon is here part-time as a manager, and there's so much to do here. We're looking at trying to get grants to maybe bring a a student in or someone who wants to learn about the the heritage trade and, and make a career in it. And the second thing that worries me is the electronics that run the model, which are from the late 80s, early 90s, and I'm really worried that they're going to fail, and that that is our biggest source of income by a long way. It's a real worry. We're trying to look at grants to try and get some of this done, but both of those things that I mentioned, getting some help and also the model electronics, they are considerable sums of money we need. And because we're new, we haven't got masses of back accounts. It's, It's a tricky problem to get people to grant us that money. It's pretty busy downstairs. There's a steady flow of tourists coming through. Do you think the town underestimates the importance of the the model and the Heritage Centre? 
Yeah, I think it is underestimated, uh, although I will say that when we thought about how to save the model, we had a town meeting more or less and invited anybody who wanted to come. And, and a lot of people from the town came in and, and really wanted to save it. But you still see a lot of people in town who've never seen it. I think that's really strange because, um, you know, I moved to Rye relatively recently. So that anybody knew one of my relatives or friends that comes to see me, I always bring them here. And this was before I had anything to do with the centre. I always bring them here because looking at the model gives you a fantastic overview of the town. You can see immediately where Mermaid Street is, where the High Street is, where the church is, where the museum is. And you get the show which shows you the history and some of the, you know, the ins and outs and the murders and the smuggling and, you know, as well. So it, it's a fantastic introduction to Rye, I think. So you've got a real passion for it, then? Yeah, and it's funny because unlike Simon, the manager, I'm fairly new to Rye. I've only been here five years. I've lived in lots of different places, and this was the first time that my wife and I could move to a place where we wanted to move to. We went out on weekends together and looked at various places and when we came here we just loved it and so we moved here and now I'm dedicated to, to keeping it as a beautiful town in a beautiful place. Thank you Chris. Back to Simon, the manager. For those who haven't been here, sell it to them. I think there's a certain sort of like assumption amongst some local residents, not all, but some local residents that they don't need to come here because they live here so there's nothing here for them. But when we do get local people coming who haven't been before, they always go away with this sense of awe at the sight of the model and what it tells them about their hometown that they perhaps didn't know. Also, you know, there are a good few local residents who do come back time and time again. It was absolutely fantastic a few months ago. I had four generations of one family come in. The grandfather had seen uh, the show, what's well, great-grandfather, had seen the show when it was not even in the council's hands, so back in the uh, 1970s. And he'd brought his daughter along, and then when her, she had children, she brought her children along, and then the, her children had brought their children along. And then this day, all four generations of them turned up to watch the show. And that was really good. But I think, you know, the majority of Rye people, although very, very supportive of us and our existence, which was evidenced when the first noises about closure were out there. I mean, I got 360 members of a Facebook support group within a few weeks. But I've got to be honest and say that once the deed was done, the charity was set up and we technically saved the place, that support is still there, but it's very much in the background. We don't see those people coming forward. Chris and Simon talked about the need for volunteers and with a couple of volunteers, somebody who's only just joined the team and somebody who's been involved for quite some time. It's Lorraine Ellis and Lynn Smith. Lynn, first, how long have you been involved? Since we opened, so before that, getting it ready and then from the day we opened, which was July the 19th last year. What do you do? Everything. Mostly serving people, helping them, answering questions. I've just started introducing the show today, actually. How'd it go? All right, I think. Nobody looked horrified, so it must be OK. <laughs> um, and I also am quite involved in the stock side of things, so I order stuff and rearrange it and bring my own stuff in sometimes. Why did you get involved? Well, actually, because it was Simon, that meant I knew him. So I came and met everybody else, and it's good. It's been very good for me. In what way? It's given my confidence back, because when you retire, you tend to lose it. And I had a bit, and I've... He's come back in spades. What did you do before you retired? 
I worked in a shop and before that I did a variety of other things. Banking mostly, that was my career. Volunteering here, it's fun. It's way more fun. Much more interesting, much more fun. You know, a more laid back attitude to everything, but hard work, but worth it. What do you think of the model? I think it's fantastic. I love the story of how it was made by the couple that built it in their front room, I think it was. And I love how old it is and the fact that it's kept up. And yeah, I just love it. Can't let that be put away ever. It has to keep going. How about you, Lorraine? You haven't been involved quite so long. Why did you get involved? Uh, they forced me. <laughs> That's almost the truth. My, my best friend <laughs> uh, suggested they would, really needed volunteers and she thought it would be very good for me. I was a bit resistant, I have to be honest, um, because I thought that I knew Simon for many, many years and he might be a bit bossy and I thought I might, you know, fall out with him a little bit, but I'm definitely not falling out with him. He's very good and he's very appreciative of us helping. And I've only been about three times, I think. Three or four. Yeah. Three or four, maybe. And I know Lynn very well from the past, and she's kind of made me feel a bit braver about things because I've never volunteered at all in my life for anything. And I'm glad that I've come. Yeah, it's good. What do you particularly enjoy about it? I like people. I've always worked in the care sector, so I'm quite a people person. So I find talking to people... Maybe not this so much, <laughs> but talking to people as they come in the shop and answering questions and where have you come from, I find that bit quite easy because I like people really and uh, it's a nice way to spend an afternoon. Do you have any strange questions yet? People asking you odd things? Uh, I haven't personally, but I think probably everybody <laughs> else has. Lynn had one this afternoon, didn't uh, you? Yes, I've, I've just had somebody ask me why Simply Italian weren't answering their phone. <laughs> What did you say? I said, well, I think they must be extremely busy, but I'm afraid I can't really tell you anything. <laughs> I did stay polite. What would you say to somebody who wanted to, to get involved? I would say it's definitely worth it. It gives you a new circle of friends. You may well come across people that you have already know, but it does give you a wider circle of friends. And we mesh very well together, all of us do. And it's just, it's rewarding. It's nice to go home and feel as if you've done something worth doing. So I would recommend it, definitely. Yeah, I think Lynn's right. I think just do it, because it took me a long time, because I was, I was resistant, really, but it's brilliant, yeah. And if I have problems getting through to a restaurant, I can give you a call? Obviously. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'll make something up, yeah. <laughs> I have no wall around my palace at Westminster. What do they need? Let's talk to a couple of people who've just watched the sound and light show, the town model. Corinne's over from Paris with her daughter, Alice. Corinne, you've seen this in the past, haven't you? Yes, I did. I came with my parents about 30 years ago and I kept great memories of, uh, of this visit. So I wanted my daughter to, to see the same thing. What was it like seeing it 30 years ago? Well, I think I understand more things now than I did at the time, but I, I remember 30 years ago, the smugglers and all the sort of the lights and uh, the atmosphere of the town model. Seeing it as an adult, obviously, you understand many more things, so it's great to be back. So you brought Alice, your daughter, along. Alice, what did you think of it? I thought it was good, and with the lights, I liked it. What do you think of Rye? I think it's a very beautiful. Very different to Paris? Oh uh, yeah, it's very different. And Corinne, you've been here in the past. What do you love about Rye? Well, I'd say, uh, although we do have lots of little villages in France as well, there's something just so 
unique and English Teterai that you just can't find anywhere else. Uh, the little tea places, the beautiful views, uh, Camba nearby as well. So we really love the, the whole atmosphere here. Are you staying for a few days? Yeah, we're staying on the Mint, and uh, I actually gather that it's one of the historical um, streets from Rye as well here. And do you think in 30 years' time you might come here with your children? Yes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I hope Alice will be back uh, with her own children here in 30 years' time. Corrine and Alice had a great time. If you haven't seen the Rye Town model, and you really must, it is brilliant. If you'd like to volunteer, just ask for Simon Parsons at the Heritage Centre on Strand Quay. You can get all the contact details at rycast.org. Remember, we're on social media at Rycast Sussex, and the email is rycastsussex at gmail.com. More stories about Rye next time on Rycast. Until then, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>